Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Are you caring for an aging parent? Are you searching for answers? Welcome to Senior Care Live, a program dedicated to you, providing information, education, and resources, helping you become the best caregiver you can be. I'm your host, Steve Keeker. Hello and welcome to Senior Care Live. Thanks for tuning in today. I really appreciate you. This program is all about educating seniors and their caregivers, helping them make informed decisions. This is a trusted place for you and your family. If you have a question, you can always visit online at Senior Care Live, L-I-V-E, SeniorCareLive.com. If you want to place a phone call, you can do that at 1-800-331-6445. All right, so you're going you're gonna to want to stay tuned to this entire program. We will have an excellent program today. would like to introduce my longtime dear friend and special guest today, Mr. Bill Hammond. Uh, he's the president and founder of KC Elder Law. And Bill, welcome back to Senior Care Live. Thanks, Steve. It's great to be here with you. All right, so... Uh, you're, you're definitely going to want to write this phone number down and contact Bill and the great staff there. I, I'm sure you're going to have some questions and want to look into some of the services, but the phone number is 913-338-5713, and you can visit online. It's an excellent website, kcelderlaw.com, kcelderlaw.com. Uh, Bill, you have offices in Overland Park, Lee Summit, and Kearney, Missouri. Is that correct? That's correct, Steve. And, and in spite of uh, COVID, we're all we're open. We are. Oh boy, yeah. For <laughs> well, in that, you know, I, I was going to ask you, you know, how are you and the and the great folks at KC Elder Law doing in the midst of this uh, uh, wonderful COVID nineteen pandemic? <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for asking, Steve. You know, we're all doing pretty well. But I will tell you, there's an old saying may you live in interesting times and it's both a blessing and a curse yeah. <laughs> and depending upon you know which side of the bed i get out of in the morning depending upon <laughs> which version of groundhog day it is yeah. <laughs> uh, we are living in interesting times however my uh staff as well we're, we're doing fine 
and uh, we are able to help clients. We were deemed an essential business right from the get-go, Steve. And so, oh, okay. We, yeah, we are happy to uh, help clients, and and in this day and age, it, it, we provide services that are are really vital, and and we're honored that we're able to serve. Okay, and you can uh, can you still see clients in person, or are you meeting them virtually, or a, a combination? Yeah, it's really that depends, Steve, and it's it is a combination. Uh, for some of our clients, they are quite, um, shall we say, computer savvy, and uh, we handle that through Zoom or FaceTime or all those things that you and I probably barely knew about a few months ago, or at least yep. certainly I barely knew about. Yep. <laughs> um, but we have other clients. I mean, my goodness, this is an elder law firm. And so I have clients where, you know, they don't have kids who are able to help or for whatever reason, uh, they need to get together. And in those instances, we are able to do that at our various offices. We do it all in a socially distanced manner. Uh, we make sure everybody's safe. We wear masks and, and we do the things that we need to do. But the short answer is yes, we are able to uh, meet the client's needs, whatever those needs are. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. And uh, what? We'll just call some of that forced creativity. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Exactly. So, uh, but I'm glad everything's working out. So that is, that is wonderful. Uh, So let's go ahead and start off with just kind of a 101 type of a question. Uh, And I, I, I say that because these are terms that I think sometimes are interchanged and they should not be. So, uh, Bill, what's the difference between estate planning and elder law? Yeah, it's a, that's a great place to start this conversation. You know, when people think of estate planning, lots of times they, they kind of know the term. They're not sure exactly what it is. Um, but from my perspective, that's when someone's doing, I don't know, Steve, a will, a trust, powers of attorney. We can talk about that more as we go along. By and large, from an estate planning perspective, the uh, person is asking and answering the question, what happens when I die? And that's obviously a really, really important question. From an elder law or elder care perspective, in addition to asking and answering the question, what happens when I die? We also have to ask and answer, yeah, but what if I don't die? What if I get sick? Because if you think about it, Steve, and and no one knows better than you, the cost of care in our area can be quite expensive, good care costs. And so, you know, whether we've got someone at home or in an assisted living or nursing care, if we haven't taken care in our plan on how we're going to pay for the cost of that care, well, then when the person passes away, there may be nothing left. So we have to deal with both of them. Okay, and you, so you can address both both the estate planning part of that as well as the elder law side of that of that equation. Is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly right, Steve. Okay, so let's talk about power of attorney uh, again. I, I think it's a a phrase or a term that's kind of thrown around and maybe sometimes not used uh, properly or appropriately. What is a power of attorney? If someone says, I, I need a, a, a POA or a power of attorney, what, what does that mean? Yeah, sure. So 
when we think in terms of powers of attorney, uh, there's a couple of main ones. One is for finances and one is for health care. More on that in a moment. Um, but let's start with a financial one, Steve. So that's a document that says, if I can't make my own decisions regarding real estate, taxes, bank accounts, all those financial things that we need to deal with, then I'm going to appoint someone to make those decisions for me. And I hear people say things like, Steve, my wife and I, we've been married for 20, 30, 40 years or more. We really don't need that. We make all those decisions together. But the law says, if you are over the age of 18, and if you have not done a power of attorney, the law says you must have meant not to do it. In reality, Steve, lots of times people just don't think about it or they don't mm -hmm. get around to it. And then if their spouse or if their parent or a child becomes incapacitated, then they can have a real problem on their hands and they might end up in court with a judge making decisions for the family, a judge who's never met the family. So we need to take care of it with a power of attorney. And that's power of attorney for finance. And I'll guarantee uh, a lot of heads just uh, kind of spun around on that one. You mean if something happens to me, I mean, my wife knows what to do. If you haven't spelled that out in a legally drafted power of attorney document, uh, it, it could be your wife or it could be your husband. Your spouse cannot speak for you and transact uh, financial uh, transactions. Is, is, that's, is that correct? That's exactly right, Steve. And let's go a step further. We are at the time of year when lots of parents are getting ready to send their children off to college, maybe. We're trying to figure that out. Yeah. Well, anyone over the age of 18 needs to have these documents in place. So, uh, as you know, I have five children on their 18th birthday. Each and every one of them came into my law office and we did powers of attorney for them. The reason, up until the age of 18, my wife and I could make decisions for them. Once they hit 18, we could no longer make decisions for them. And so they had to do powers of attorney. Well, most of the people in our audience today are over the age of 18. So the law is going to say, if you have not done powers of attorney, you purposely meant not to do it. And people just don't think about it. So this is a great big wake up call. Uh, yeah, and you don't want to learn that the hard way. <laughs> so you will definitely want to contact Bill Hammond, president and founder of Casey Elder Law at 913-338-5713. And Bill, these documents are pretty simple, pretty straightforward for you to uh, draft. And this isn't like some long drawn out process. Um, this is something that could be done fairly easily, fairly simply. Is that correct? You know, it, it really depends on the situation, Steve. And then we have to go one step further. We talked about a financial power of attorney. Now, we also need to talk about a health care power of attorney. Okay. And under state law, as long as I can make my own health care decisions, I always will. But what if I can't? Well, then the document says if I can't make my own health care decisions, then I'm going to appoint my spouse, my child, my love, my friend, someone to make those decisions for me. That's half of it. The other half is we probably also want to have what we call a living will. And that's the document that says, Steve, if I have an incurable injury or disease or illness, 
where I'm not going to get better, then I don't want to be hooked up to life support or I do want to be hooked up to life support, whatever my wishes are. And in this day and age of COVID, that's especially important. And the combination, Steve, of that finance, I'm sorry, that healthcare power of attorney plus the living will are what we call advanced directives. And you need to not only get those in place, but you also need to make sure that after you've gotten those in place, then you pass them on to the doctor, pass them on to the people you've named. That way, if something happens to you, then uh, your loved ones will know who can make decisions and, and where to look and frankly, what your wishes are. All right. Excellent information. Thank you so much, Bill. And Bill, in the next segment, I have one more question for you on these power of attorney documents. But first, let's not forget the Senior Care Live question of the week. This is regarding power of attorney. The person granted the power of attorney can make decisions for their loved one while living and after their loved one passes away. Is that statement true or false? We'll have the answer coming up next. You're listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. For more information, call now, toll free, 1-800-331-6445. Operators are standing by, 1-800-331-6445. I'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. For more information, go to SeniorCareLive.com. And you can stream this program to any electronic device at SeniorCareLive.com and through the app Radio.com. All right, back to the Senior Care Live question of the week. This is regarding power of attorney. The person granted the power of attorney can make decisions for their loved one while living and after their loved one passes away. Is that statement true or false? And the answer is... All right, the answer is false. And Bill, why is that false? Yeah, Steve, it's because the power of attorney expires when the person does. It ends at the person's death. And I'll guarantee you, a lot of people do not understand that one. (laughs) Yeah, I know that for a fact. Yeah. (laughs) All right. We're speaking with my dear longtime friend, Mr. Bill Hammond. He's president and founder of KC Elder Law. You can reach Bill and the great team at KC Elder Law at this phone number. You're going to want to write it down, 913-338-5713. You can also visit online at kcelderlaw.com. All right. So, Bill, regarding uh, power of attorney, I had one more question I'd like to get to before we move on, and that is this, and this is a, a really important question. If someone has Alzheimer's or dementia, is it too late to authorize a power of attorney document? Yeah, Steve, what a great question, and, and here's the issue. The person who is giving the power of attorney be it financial or healthcare, has to have what we call the legal capacity or legal ability to do so. 
just because someone might have Alzheimer's or dementia does not necessarily mean that they can no longer authorize a power of attorney. They have to have, Steve, what we call an interval of lucidity, and it's a legal and medical judgment. Uh, so the short answer is, Steve, it depends. <laughs> as, like a as with one. a lot of things in life, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So the message to our listeners, if if your loved one has Alzheimer's or dementia, and this is getting your attention, you're saying, wait a minute, we need to update our power of attorney documents. We need to get a living will in place. We need to do all these things. I would run I would not walk. I would run because you're running out of time, frankly, to get this done. And I would call Bill Hammond. I send all of my clients and anyone calling in, I send them straight to KC Elder Law at 913-338-5713. That's 913-338-5713. And now this. And now, Myth versus Fact. All right. This is one of my favorite segments of the show, Myth versus Fact. Uh, so, Bill, I'm going to fire off some of these and then you can uh, you can let us know if it's a myth or a fact. So here's one. You have to sign your house over to the nursing home before you can qualify for Medicaid. Bill, is that a myth or a fact? Steve, that's a myth. I don't <laughs> know of any nursing home that wants your house. I don't either. <laughs> And I don't know why so many people working in nursing homes keep telling uh, families that. So if you're a listener and you have heard that, that person literally, they just don't know what they're talking about. So nothing against them, but that's an absolute fact. Okay, here's another one. Uh, You cannot qualify for Kansas Medicaid if you are a Missouri resident. Is that a myth or a fact? Steve, I'm going to say that's a myth. However... Like a lawyer, I'm going to give you a little more explanation. Yeah, okay. You could have lived in Missouri all your life. If you then move to Kansas, the test for residence is physical presence, being in Kansas, plus an intent to remain for a time. So if someone used to live in Missouri and the loved one moves over to Kansas, then he or she will become a Kansas resident and they can then qualify for Kansas Medicaid, even if the other spouse stays in Missouri and vice versa. Okay. All right. Excellent. Uh, Here's another one that kind of related. If you're from Missouri, you must be a Kansas resident for six months before you can apply for Kansas Medicaid. I literally heard that one this last week, Bill. <laughs> so is there a residency requirement of six months? Is that a myth or a fact? Steve, that's a myth. The test for residency, as I noted, is physically being present in the state with an intent to remain. So it could be a month. Okay, Excellent. Excellent. And then uh, one more. You must use your entire spend down amount to pay for nursing home care and you cannot use it for any other purpose. Is that a myth or a fact? And again, Steve, that's a myth. Anything that uh, is used for either the uh, uh, one who needs care or if they're married for the spouse, 
uh, would be an appropriate spend down amount. The only thing you have to be careful of is if you make gifts, if you give money away, you create penalties. Otherwise, it can be used for anything that would benefit uh, the, the person who needs care or his or her spouse. All right. Thank you, Bill. And ladies and gentlemen, that's a fact. For more information about the facts, stay tuned to this program or contact Senior Care Consulting at 913-945-2800 or visit SeniorCareConsulting.com. All right. So let's move on to another uh, really interesting part of estate planning and elder law. I'd like to address, address the difference between a will and a trust. Uh, because, uh, again, these are a couple of terms that sometimes are kind of tossed around and interchanged and should not be. So, uh, Bill, what is a will? Yeah, so, Steve, a will is that document that lays out where you want assets to go in the event you pass away. One of the things that people uh, mistake here frequently is that you have to remember, Steve, anything that goes through a will goes through probate. And lots of my clients want to avoid probate. They're not sure exactly what it is, but they know <laughs> they don't want it. Okay? Yeah. yeah. And so what they do is frequently they would set up what we call a revocable living trust. And that's a document where <clears throat> the person who sets it up is typically what we call the grantor and the trustee. And it says, at my death, this is where I want my assets to go. The difference is, as long as you set it up properly, if you get your assets into or beneficiary to the trust, then it's not going through probate. And that's what my clients typically want to avoid probate. And if uh, and just in, in the next few seconds, if if your estate goes through probate, there are costs attached to that. Is that correct? Absolutely. There are costs and there are also statutory uh, time delays. That means that the state's going to uh, spread it out over a period of time. And, uh, and it's also public if it goes through probate. Whereas a will can be private, can, or I'm sorry, a trust can be private, can be done quickly with no probate. And frankly, Steve, my experience is that's what most people want. That sounds like the way to go. And for our listeners, after the break, we're going to continue with Mr. Bill Hammond, president and founder of KC Elder Law. We're going to discuss uh, the, the really important question, who needs a trust? And, and then Bill will explain some of the different types of trust that we may need. We'll have more coming up next. You're listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. For more information, call now, toll-free, 1-800-331-6445. Operators are standing by, 1-800-331-6445. I'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. For more information, go to SeniorCareLive.com. And don't forget to check out our podcast of every recent episode of this program, again, at SeniorCareLive.com. 
Com. All right, back to my friend and special guest today, Mr. Bill Hammond, president and founder of KC Elder Law. It's all about elder law today. You can reach out to Bill and the great team at KC Elder Law at 913-338-5713. You can also visit online. It is an excellent website at kcelderlaw.com. All right, so Bill, you defined a will and a trust and the difference between the two. Uh, The trust sounds like the way to go, but could you explain uh, who needs a trust? Uh, Maybe give us an example. Sure. Um, So really, Steve, it it depends on the individual situation. Uh, But for our listeners, early on in our conversation today, Steve, we talked about the difference between estate planning and elder care or elder law planning. And we talked about how from a, an estate planning perspective, uh, someone would, would set up a will, a trust, whatever, and they were asking and answering the question, Steve, what happens when I die? And obviously, that's a really, really important question. Also, from an elder care perspective, we need to ask and answer the question, yeah, but what if I don't die? What if I get sick? So. Steve, anyone who has a situation that they are concerned about, they are concerned about making sure that they are taken care of during their lifetime, that they are concerned about making sure that assets pass on down to their spouse, to their kids, that they can make sure this happens in a way that's easy, smooth, avoids probate, all of that. Well, that's when we start to look at, uh, you know, what's a trust and whether or not that fits the the particular individual. Okay. And are there different types of trusts? Yeah, there sure are. And uh, first of all, the most common and what most of our listeners, Steve, would be familiar with is what we call a revocable living trust. And that's the kind of trust where the person who sets it up is the grantor. Perhaps it's a husband and wife. They're both grantors. And then then they are probably also what we call the trustees, and they manage it. And then at the death of one, it goes to the survivor, perhaps, at the second death on down to the kids. And that's the kind that most people have. Every once in a while, Steve, I run into someone who has set up what we call an irrevocable trust. And that's where they have given up control. They have moved the assets out of their name and set them up in such a way that uh, someone else will be managing, someone else will be controlling. In either case, Steve, it goes back to that thing that you and I have talked about in the past, and that is you have to be really careful and you have to avoid bear traps. What's a bear trap? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, what's a bear trap? And I, I have a feeling that's leading right in, uh, great minds think alike. I, uh, that was leading right into my next question. You know, I, I've heard some horror stories of people who were kind of stuck with the trust that they couldn't really uh, make any uh, amendments to or alterations, and they were really stuck with the language, and it, and it potentially cost them the opportunity to protect assets and potentially cost them a lot of money, I guess. Yeah, it certainly happens, unfortunately. And where that would come in, Steve, is, uh, you know, we've we mentioned earlier, what if someone has Alzheimer's or dementia 
or, or uh, you know, runs into a, a situation like that. And what if, for instance, we have a married couple who set up a trust, got husband and wife, and then what if that trust has language in there which says that it requires both grantors? Remember, if a married couple sets it up, they're probably both grantors. What if it requires both grantors? to alter or amend that trust. Hmm. So someone hears that and they think, hmm, that's probably the way I would want it. I'm going to require my wife and I to each get involved with changing that trust if we need to make changes. Mm -hmm. That makes sense, Steve, unless and until something happens. And if something happens to one of the spouses, has Alzheimer's, MS, something like that, is in an accident, all of a sudden then they are stuck with what that trust says. Oh, boy. And that, yeah, boy, Steve is right, because they may have set up a trust document, you know, 5, 10, 15 years ago when they were both younger, healthy, and, you know, it wasn't even contemplated that one of them might develop Alzheimer's. And sure. so we want to have language in there which allows us to avoid those bear traps so that if the situation changes then the family can deal with it. And, you know, Steve, in this day and age of COVID-19, sometimes things that were taking years to develop, we now see changes that happen in a matter of months. And so you've got to make sure you've got the ability to deal with whatever comes along. And, and inevitably, something is going to change. I mean, nothing stays the same forever. Things are going to happen. And so you have to make sure that you get the right type of trust that has the flexibility uh, to allow you to, uh, you know, make decisions and have that flexibility that you're going to need in the event that something uh, unexpected does happen. All right. And Bill, I've, uh, you know, I've made some presentations uh, you know, over the past 12 months. I, I've talked to a lot of folks and, and some folks uh, have a, a, a negative outlook on Medicaid. So I want to talk about that now. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. This is a consumer alert. Consumer alert. Okay, so I, I've I've had some, not too often, but I but I've had some folks uh, say you, you just want you just want Medicaid to pay for your nursing home so that you or your family or spouse so that they don't have to. And uh, I don't think they don't see what uh, what I see, and they definitely don't see what you see all the time. There are some very specific reasons why you would want to do a division of assets for a couple uh, to protect that community spouse. Could you explain that for us, please? Sure, absolutely. And, and it's, it's a great question. I appreciate you raising it because this is something that people need to understand. It's quite common, Steve, to have a situation where, you know, the, the married couple, husband and wife, uh, have been raising their family. And, you know, particularly in an elder law practice, a lot of my clients are very traditional, and I see frequently situations where uh, the husband was the, the breadwinner and, and the wife was at home raising the kids, not being sexist at all here. This is what I frequently yeah. see with my clients yeah. in their 70s and 80s. And by doing that, then it's not uncommon uh, to see a situation where his social security, his pension is greater than 
than hers. In fact, it would be common to see her have a Social Security amount of half of his. That's all well and good as long as they're both alive and healthy. But what if, what if, Steve, it gets to the point where he needs care? If he goes into nursing care and if they end up doing a spend down and they spend those assets, then there's a statistically, if he's the one who needs care, Steve, there's a 75% chance he will pass away before she does. If that happens, then what we would see is they will have spent down a large portion of the assets and at his passing, she would then lose her social security. She'll go up to his. It's common, Steve, to see that in that situation where they lose half the assets and 40% of the income for the surviving spouse. Mm. And we have to step in in these cases and make sure that that doesn't happen so that she won't have to move out of the neighborhood or uh, you know, have a standard of living that just wouldn't be acceptable but for the fact that he got sick. That's just one example. And how many people right now listening to this program could withstand a, just think about this, a 40% decrease in your household income? Could anyone listening to this program raise your hand if you could withstand or sustain a 40% decrease to your monthly income? And let me tell you, I'm not raising my hand. <laughs> I don't know of anyone who could uh, who could work through that and and deal with it. So uh, I, I I love it in the in the past when you've explained this as as a as a women's issue because you know you, they're they're potentially losing you know half of their assets, forty percent of their income, and how are you supposed to continue to live independently? You still live in your home. You have repairs, taxes, insurance, uh, utilities, etc. With a 40% decrease in, in your monthly income. It's just about impossible. Well, and it's one of the great worries, Steve, that, that folks had. In fact, there was a, uh, a workshop many years ago uh, down in Texas, and the doctors put on a uh, workshop, and, and the entire focus of the workshop was on, on cardiovascular health, heart issues. And so at the end of the workshop, they then surveyed the participants and they asked them what's your biggest fear and they thought well we've just spent a day talking about heart health and strokes and all these things and the results astonished them the results came back steve and they said our number one fear is becoming a burden to our family in the wow. event one of us needs long-term care wow so that's why you need to qualify for Medicaid. That's why you need to do it properly and protect your assets. Proceed with caution. This has been a Consumer Alert brought to you by Senior Care Live. We'll have more coming up next. You're listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. For more information, call now, toll-free, 1-800-331-6445. Operators are standing by, 1-800-331-6445. I'll be right back. Welcome back. 
You're listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. For more information, visit SeniorCareLive.com. All right, our special guest today, Mr. Bill Hammond, president and founder of KC Elder Law. To reach out to Bill and the great team at KC Elder Law, it's 913-338-5713. You can also visit online at kcelderlaw.com. All right, so... Bill, uh, a lot of times I'll talk about, you know, asset protection strategies for Medicaid planning. And for the purpose of this program, pretty much anytime we talk about Medicaid, uh, we, we talk about Medicaid for the purpose of paying for care at that nursing home level. And so I know that many times you and, uh, and the team at KC Elder Law will discuss asset protection strategies, uh, particularly in that division of assets when you're working with a couple. And there are different laws in the state of Kansas uh, versus the state of Missouri. One isn't better than the other, but they're just different. And does it make a difference sometimes on that asset protection strategy as to which which laws of which state would actually be more advantageous to the to the couple, to the family? Yeah, it can, Steve. And, and once again, I think what you said is exactly correct, which is um, one's not better, one's not worse. They're just sometimes different. And, and I'll give you an example. Um, in, the, in the state of Kansas, when we talk about a married couple, and then we talk about what we call the community spouse, Steve, that means the mm-hmm. at-home spouse. So uh-huh. let's say we had a married couple, husband and wife, and let's say that uh, she needs care. She's She goes into nursing care and he's at home. In the state of Kansas, if he has an IRA or a 401k, his retirement plan in that example is going to be exempt. It's not going to count. The IRA or 401k of the community spouse isn't going to count. Sometimes the uh, rental property in Kansas is exempt. Sometimes it is in Missouri, but then we have to get into uh, some things that are a little bit beyond what we can do today. Farm yeah. income, for instance, can be uh, exempt in both states, but the rules are a little bit different. So mm-hmm. the bottom line, Steve, is you know there's an old saying, when you're going through a minefield, you want to follow someone who's been there before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when it comes to the Medicaid side of things, that's absolutely true. And that's why you call Bill Hammond. He and his team can lay this out and show you, uh, you know, the advantages of choosing one state or over the other. They know the laws, they know the rules, and they know how to work in your absolute best interest. Okay, Bill, um, what is a caretaker child exemption? What what is that? What does it mean? Yeah. So, Steve, the law typically says that if you make a gift. If you give money or property away, you create a penalty. And when someone applies for Medicaid, the state is going to ask, have you made any gifts and given any money or property away in the last five years? And if the answer is yes, then you have to tell the state how much you gave away and there's going to be a penalty. However, if you have a situation, Steve, where you have an adult child who moves in to mom and or dad's home. And if that adult child's care has kept mom or dad out of nursing care for a two year period, Mm -hmm. then the state says 
the home can be given to that adult child with no penalty. In other words, mm. public policy is saying, move in, care for your parents, keep them out of care for two years, and your reward could be they could then give you their home with no penalty. That got the attention of a bunch of listeners. I will guarantee it. <laughs> Just right there. And this is why you work with an elder law attorney to work through some of these opportunities. Bill, let's talk about another one, the disabled child exemption. Sure. Back to what we said earlier, Steve. If you make gifts, if you give money or property away, you're creating a penalty. But if you make those gifts to a, d a disabled child, let's say that you have a child who's on social security disability, suffered some kind of an accident or whatnot. If you then go into nursing care, rather than spend those funds down, you can make a gift to that disabled child to take care of that child and there's no penalty. Mm. Now, how you do it is tricky. Again, you're going to want professional advice, but the bottom line is that this is a way for parents to take care of their kids, uh, a, a child who has become disabled, and, and making sure that the parent gets the nursing care he or she needs and that the child is taken care of. So everyone wins in that example, but it has to be handled properly. All right, uh, Bill. I've I've always I've heard the term SPIA. So, what is a SPIA? What what does that mean, and why might that be important to one of your clients? Sure, doesn't fit everybody, but it fits more people than you might imagine. A SPIA, single premium immediate annuity, and the way that would work, Steve. Let's just take a made-up example. Let's say we've got a married couple. And let's say that he needs nursing care and uh, she's at home. Let's say that this couple, not counting the house, has a total of $420,000. Well, the state would say, you've got to spend that down to around 120, 130,000. The state says, you've got to spend $300,000 on care. The SPIA would allow us to take that and put that into this special kind of an annuity for the wife and over a five-year period that three hundred thousand dollar SPIA would pay her about five thousand dollars a month now why would we do that Steve because we just took what used to be an asset we turned it into an income stream so as far as the state is concerned they just met the spend down and now she has this income which she can then save and that way if he passes away recall statistically there's a 75 percent chance he'll die first if he needs nursing care mm -hmm. now we've done this in such a way that he gets his care and she's protected and won't have to move out of the neighborhood if he passes because the community spouse's income is off limits. That, that, so That's you're just right. you're, you're taking accountable asset, turning it into the income for the community spouse. And again, that, that protects his or her ability to live independently and not become, uh, I believe that the legal jargon is impoverished due to the high cost of, of, the, uh, of the nursing home care. 
That's right, Steve. If someone uh, has a, a, if you have a married couple and one of the spouses needs care, this is where they need to get expert advice just as quickly as possible. And I guarantee you on those last uh, three or four points, there are a lot of folks saying, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. That may apply to me, to my family, to my wife, to my husband, to my parents, to my grandparents. If that got your attention like it got mine, it gets mine every single time, reach out to Bill Hammond and KC Elder Law at 913-338-5713. That's 913-338-5713. You can also visit online at KC Elder Law. Dot com. Bill, thanks so much for being here today and taking time out of your day to share all of this wonderful information and knowledge with us. I really appreciate you, my friend. I'm your host, Steve Keeker, and I wish you grace and peace. May God bless you and your family on this day and always. Join me next week right here on Senior Care Live. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.